welcome to the latest episode of our Business in Focus podcast. I'm Emily Khan and I'm your host for this episode. The release of our 10th Women in Work Index presents an opportunity to pause and consider our journey towards gender equality at work over the last decade. It brings into stark focus that despite slow and steady progress over the last decade, there is still a long way to go. But the gains in doing so could be huge. Increasing women's employment could lead to a $6 trillion increase in GDP each year across the countries included in our analysis, as governments and businesses come together to rebuild economies and accelerate action to address the climate crisis. That's a colossal prize at stake. But getting there will take direct action and collaboration from across business, government and society. Throughout the pandemic, we've seen and experienced how the impact of COVID-19 has disproportionately hit women's lives, jobs, economic prosperity and well-being. Last year, we noted some of these, how the jobs and sectors women worked in made them more vulnerable to job losses and the impact on working mothers. This year, we're able to see how those effects fully reflected in the data and how the pandemic has affected the progress previously made. What lessons must we learn to regain lost ground as we shift our focus to what lies ahead? And there's a unique opportunity to design inequality to our future if we act now with the transition to net zero. As we look to rebuild after the pandemic, how can we ensure a greener, more inclusive world of work? Joining me today as we explore these themes, findings and tough questions are Ian Elliott, Chief People Officer here at PwC, and Tara Shrestakani, one of our economists leading this year's Women in Work report. Great to have you both here. Let's kick off with some quick intros. Ian, would you like to do the honours first? Emily, thank you very much. As you say, I'm the Chief People Officer uh, here at PwC UK. Uh, I'm relatively new in role. Uh, and where I came from, I was the uh, leader of our forensics business. And there we uh, did a lot of work focusing on embracing difference. Uh, and what I was really trying to achieve in that business was to create an environment where everyone had an equal opportunity to fulfill their potential. Uh, the key there is in the, the word equal, so regardless of gender, ethnicity or background. Um, we also did a, a huge amount on, on female progression. Well, it's super to have you here today and congratulations on the new role, Ian. Thank you. Tara, would you like to introduce yourself too? Hi, Emily. And yeah, thank you for the introduction. Um, great to be here with both of you today. Um, as you said, I'm an economist at PwC UK and also very proud to be one of the authors of this year's Women in Work Index. Well, it's brilliant to have you here today. Thank you for joining as well. Um, and I'm looking forward to hearing some of your thoughts having been involved in producing the report. Um, I mentioned last year's report there in my introduction. Actually, I hosted the episode last year where we looked at those findings. So I'm keen to hear how that picture's developed. Perhaps let's get us started. Um, take us through some of the key findings that we can dig into together today. So as you said in your intro, this is the 10th year of Women in Work. So it's a really big milestone for us because it allows us to look back over the decade and think about the progress we've made towards gender equality at work. But what are, what are some of the challenges that still lie ahead? And, and what we've seen as we look back over the decade is there has been slow and steady progress towards gender equality at work. But in 2020, because of the pandemic, our Women in Work Index actually fell for the first time in its history. And this was because across the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development, or the OECD, as it's more commonly known, um, the, the group of countries that we consider in our Women in Work report, women's employment losses during the pandemic were relatively worse than men's. 
we saw that across the OECD, 4.7 million women became unemployed and 4.9 million women left the workforce. And importantly, the effect of this has been to set back progress towards gender equality in work by at least two years. And even more importantly, going forward, there's a really key message here. There's, as we turn away from the pandemic and we look, for, we look forward to this net zero world of work and this, this greener future, governments and businesses really need to take on board the lessons learned from the pandemic and think about, think and act to rebuild economies and societies in an inclusive way that puts the needs of women and other marginalized groups at the center and ensures that these groups of people are supported, empowered, and benefit from this future greener world of work that we all want to build. I, th I think, Tara, it's really disappointing to hear the, to hear the findings, isn't it? Um, and I think it's so important that we focus on regaining the ground that, we, that we've lost. You know, there was some, some great work done in all sorts of different arenas uh, to, for the, to, to progress prior to the pandemic. And it really highlights the importance of focusing on inclusion, you know, still further now as we as we start to move out of the pandemic. If I look at it from a from a PwC perspective, um, you know, we're focused here very much on on blended working and getting that getting that balance right. But it's so important that that happens in a in a fair way, and that our our female members of staff are not penalised as we do that. Some fascinating points there, and I, I agree with you, Ian, on the kind of us having a responsibility as a firm to play our role in that. But I'm conscious that we're talking about data from 33 countries, so actually the scale of this trend is vast, and there are some pretty big numbers for us to get our heads around. Um, and clearly, different countries have looked different in that analysis, Tara. Um, it's sobering to hear the kind of this is an enduring trend, despite the differences in the approach to lockdown. So I'd be interested to hear a bit more about the UK specifically maybe and how we've come through in this year's analysis. So the story in the UK is really interesting. The UK showed the largest increase in the rankings of all the countries in our analysis from 2019 to 2020. It moved up seven places from 16th to 9th. However, the UK's performance provides a really key example of why it's important to understand the data and the trends behind the headline figures we see. Because when we look at the UK data, the key factor which drove its large rise in the rankings was a narrowing of the gender pay gap from 2019 to 2020, from 16% to 12%. But as I said, context is really important here because this narrowing of the gap is less about progress made towards gender equality and more likely to be a combination of men's earnings falling as a result of factors related to the pandemic and also the impact of job retention schemes. And, and in fact, our analysis of the emerging national data for 2021 indicates that this pay gap has already started to widen again, suggesting that these gains that we saw in the first year of the pandemic are only likely to have been temporary. I think perhaps um, a better area of focus, if we're looking for the positives from a UK perspective, is what our analysis shows across the UK regions. So 10 out of the 12 regions showed progress towards gender equality at work. And we actually saw the lower performing parts of the UK show the greatest rate of progress. And the effect of this is that the gap between the best and the worst performing areas has narrowed. And this is really important and it's also really encouraging to see given that levelling up is a key policy priority for the UK government as we emerge out of the pandemic. 
Yeah, that leveling up agenda is so important, Tori. You're absolutely right. I mean, we we've been really focused on on regional investment here, here at PwC. So, you know, we've been looking at our sort of office footprint, and you know, the regions are an increasingly important part of our of our firm here in the UK. So, if you look at some of our recent investments uh, around technology, for example, a new uh, advanced solutions centre in Belfast where we're creating 800 jobs. And our new tech central centre in Manchester, where we're, we're going to be creating a thousand jobs. So that's you know, really important that that levelling up agenda continues. But still, it's still frustrating to hear about the sort of the, the backslide overall. You know, even from a UK perspective. Uh, and I think I think about the experiences of some of my team. We all saw that um, you know the the pandemic. The it really fell heavily on our female members of staff in terms of homeschooling, caring commitments and so on. Um, and I, I think it's important that we continue to focus on that and all the things we do around gender uh, and ethnicity, pay gap reporting, you know, we can continue to look at that really carefully. And we're, you know, we're talking to our clients about all of that as well, because we need to make sure that one group isn't disadvantaged as we come back from the pandemic. I think that point on intersectionality you just made there, Ian, is really keen. I know the report, Tara, touches on both um, motherhood as a dimension for the kind of the experience of women in work but also ethnicity let's dig into the ethnicity picture a bit more what how did the uh, the findings look when you apply that extra lens to the challenge so i think what's really important to highlight here is that although we've seen slow and steady gains for women in work um, in a decade of this report not all women have experienced these gains equally just looking at the data from the UK, on average, women from ethnic minorities are still more than a decade behind white women in terms of their unemployment rate. And they're actually proportionally worse off now than they were in 2011. So the size of this disparity has increased over the course of the decade. And, and if we think about how COVID-19 plays into this, the pandemic has, has firstly increased our awareness that some groups of women face greater challenges and face greater inequalities than others. But it's also exacerbated these inequalities. And, and in the UK, we saw that the unemployment rate for ethnic minority women grew substantially more than other groups over the course of the pandemic. And these findings are really shocking and, and they really resonate with me, um, both as an economist, but even more importantly, as an ethnic minority woman in the workplace. But they should really resonate with us all. You know, they're a clear illustration that using an intersectional framework is essential if, first of all, we're going to understand how different inequalities intersect in the workplace, if we're going to understand the workplace experiences of people like me, and second, if we're actually going to take that action to design effective policies to tackle these inequalities, to make sure that nobody is left behind as we emerge from the pandemic and look towards a net zero future. Thank you for sharing that, Tara, and I really appreciate your personal perspective there. I can hear the passion in your voice, and um, I know certainly I, I share that strength of feeling that you've just shared. Um, let's talk about that future. So you've just refer referenced there, like the opportunity to look forward to a net zero future. Give us your view on what success would look like there and, and how we might move forward. So looking ahead, there's a really urgent need to act now to, to to deliver gender inclusive policies as we accelerate our action to address the climate crisis. Um, and in our report, our analysis of the transition to net zero, just in the energy sector alone, 
shows that across the OECD, the sectors where we expect jobs to be created in large numbers are currently overwhelmingly male dominated. And so this means that men are immediately better placed to access these green job opportunities. And that without direct action from governments and from businesses and across society to support women in a green world of work, to support women's employment opportunities and outcomes, we could actually see the transition to net zero leading to an, a widening of the gap in employment between men and women, leaving women even further behind than they already are at the current moment. Well, that's a pretty compelling call to action there. Um, we talk about the collaboration on this series between business and government and wider society quite a lot. We tend to be talking about these big issues, big topics that do require a systemic kind of collaborative response. Um, and I notice here that we're actually talking about two of these big issues that both demand that kind of response that are actually slightly at odds with one another. So thinking about kind of, you know, boards of big companies that are, have shown over many years a passion for gender equality and brought that to life for, you know, our business here. They're also now showing a real commitment to net zero. Doing the two at once feels like a tricky trade-off. Um, be interesting to talk about that. Ian, maybe you can share your reflections on how does that conversation play out in the boardroom talking about these two agendas alongside each other? Yeah, we've seen we've we've seen before the the, the challenges of of trying to balance sort of different agendas. So our, our own experience here at PwC and that of our clients as it relates to inclusion, for example, uh, has often demonstrated that where we, we might focus on one area of inclusion, let's say gender, for example, uh, and make real progress in what we what we aspire to achieve around female progression um, and then we might focus then on uh, our ethnic minority staff and really focusing on their progression and giving them the opportunity to to, to do as well as they can uh, but we've but we've seen that you can accidentally take your eye off the other the other area where you've made progress and that's what we've we've seen I think in some of the, the findings of the of the report here um, so boards have to keep all of this right at the top of their agenda and we talk about it a lot uh, as, as a board here um, but on on green jobs, you, you can already you can already see it. You, you've talked to clients, um, and you can see that it's men who are who are sort of gravitating to the new opportunities that are coming around the net zero agenda. And also, you can also see that it, uh, those jobs are going into some of the areas that are already doing very well economically. Uh, and organisations like ours have got to play our part to to make sure that that trend doesn't continue. And I think for me, this is all about skills uh, and it's all about um, investing time you know, and, and money in, in the sections of our community and in the areas uh, that need, need those skills. We need to help um, people develop the skills that are going to be directly relevant to, to the green jobs agenda. So, for example, around technology and construction, they're, they're two areas that uh, will typically, if we leave things as they are, they will attract um, male, male talent because that's what that's what's happened before. So I talked about our, our tech investment in Manchester earlier. You know, we're doing a huge amount to attract females into our into our tech central hub uh, in Manchester, doing some great work with some of the schools, uh, further education colleges around apprenticeships and the like, uh, and just trying to upskill um, children in some sort of uh, less well-off areas and, and encourage them to think about the sorts of careers that they, that they won't have had before. So that's the first bit of the challenge is, is sort of getting people into, into the, right, the right areas of work, um, identifying people with real potential. 
but then it's all about helping them to stay, to progress and to thrive when they come to organizations like ours. Um, and there's a huge amount businesses can do uh, here as, as, as we've done uh, here at PwC around unconscious bias, race awareness, you know, color brave networks, lots of sort of different networks for our people from different uh, ethnic backgrounds. You know, so the people have got that they can be seen, they can, they've got safe spaces to sort of speak up. Uh, and it's really important they get the right sponsorship as well to, to make sure they, um, they're able to progress. Thanks, some brilliant examples there, Ian. Um, and I, I certainly recognise the kind of focus on technology with women, particularly proud of our Tech She Can investment and the success that that, that team has had. Um, Tara, what, what sort of recommendations are we making in the report about the actions that businesses can be taking to, to balance these two dimensions, as Ian's just explained, we're looking at at PwC? Yeah, I think um, the way, um, Emily and Ian, the way you both spoke about it is really important around that there are these different challenges and dimensions that we have to have in congruence with each other as we move forward. And this is something we highlight in the report, that there are two sides to the equation in the action that governments and businesses need to take. The first, um, as you talked about, Ian, is about equipping our workforce of women with the right skills to access well-paid, sustainable and fulfilling jobs in the green economy, because this is crucial to improving women's employment outcomes and increasing their economic security over the longer term. It's essential to being able to achieve gender equality in work and in wider society over the longer term. Um, and the second side of the equation, which, you know, is something that the, the, the moment that we're in as we leave the pandemic and look forward to net zero is really, really important. It's actually using this transition as an opportunity to rebuild the world of work in a way that places the needs of women and other marginalised groups at the centre. Uh, as you said in your introduction, Emily, that designs in the quality to our future and allows us to build a fairer and greener world of work. And I think one of the key policies here um, that businesses in particular can can take and, and act on is making sure that we cement and build on the gains from the transition to flexible working that we've seen during the pandemic. We need policies to be put in place that proactively address any risk to inclusion as people begin to return to the office and so that the benefits of flexible working are available to all types of workers because it's only when flexible working becomes an accepted accepted as standard practice that it will no longer be associated with a penalty in terms of career progression, a penalty that historically has been experienced by women. And I think also to complement that, we need more policies that address the underlying social inequalities experienced by women, particularly the greater burden of unpaid care and domestic work that women undertake. And, and our approach to this has to be two pronged. The first being we need policies that reduce the burden of care, for example, more affordable childcare, and policies that redistribute the burden of care, such as equal paid parental leave. And the challenge is that these policies are expensive. They're expensive for governments for, to deliver. And so there's a real opportunity here for businesses to think about how they can perhaps provide elements of these policies and how they can support and empower their employees, particularly those with childcare responsibilities. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Tara. We, we do a lot of work with our clients, the boards of our clients around, around inclusion and helping them to understand the actions that they can take to to level the the playing field for you know for for all of their all of their workforce so some of that is around reporting 
to make sure they're sort of uh, getting their gender pay gap reporting, ethnicity pay gap reporting right. Um, but we also do things like sort of helping with female mentoring. You know, we do secondments between us and, and clients uh, and also advising them on, on sort of different, you, you mentioned sort of equal parental leave. Um, you know, we talk to clients a lot about, about how, how that can be applied because their reaction is often as you just said, well, hey, this is expensive. You know, but there are huge benefits in terms of creating a you know, diverse, uh, you know, more effective workforce. I think that's a lovely place for us to start to draw this conversation to a close with that there are huge benefits to us cracking this challenge. Uh, regular listeners to this series will know that I always like to ask uh, experts for some actions that listeners can take away having listened to this discussion. So I would like to ask each of you for kind of one key thing. If people have, have listened to today's discussion, enjoyed it, thinking about what they can do, what one action, one or two actions might they want to think about taking? Ian, I'm going to come to you first, if I may. I think, Emily, it's all about interventions and sponsorship. It's very easy to talk about uh, wanting to level the playing field and to talk about inclusion uh, in, in a positive way. But you only make a difference if you actually take personal responsibility to act. In organisations like ours, it's, uh, you know, history has shown it's much easier for confident white males to progress by getting the sponsorship of other confident white males. And if you don't intervene, that will carry on. So it's all about um, making the right interventions, making the time for the right sponsorship and helping to, to, to level the playing field in that way. Brilliant, thank you. How about you, Tara? Yeah, I would completely echo what Ian said and to build on that, I really think it's the small repeated acts that we can take every day that are really powerful and make a real difference. I've seen it in my own career and in my own life. And by this, I mean, are you the person who makes the effort to mentor a colleague, particularly if they're from a minority group? Are you the person who gives the colleague credit for their work in a group setting? And are you the person who takes an interest in your colleague's culture and background and asks the question, you know, how does this impact you at work? And, you know, I have some amazing colleagues at PwC who champion and empower me every day, both junior and senior. And the way I see it is, me having the opportunity to co-author this report, to be here today speaking on this podcast with you both about it as a junior member of staff, as a woman, and as a person from an ethnic minority. Well, to me, that's a perfect example of empowerment in action. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you today. Thank you very much for joining us, Tara, and thank you, Ian, too. Um, and that is all we have time for. So thank you both. Excellent guests and fascinating insights we've talked about today. And if any listeners do want to read the full report, you can find it on our website, pwc.co.uk, by searching for Women in Work. Please do subscribe to keep up to date with all our latest episodes. And thanks, everyone. See you next time. Mm-hmm.